We're going to spend the next two weeks on uh, chapter 21 of John's Gospel, concluding This is Love series uh, that we've had going on in Easter. And these last few verses of chapter 21 is really about Peter and Peter's life and his failure and then Jesus reaching back out to him. I think it's some really wonderful material that is really worth our time. In the scene that we're about to read right now, there's this beautiful moment where Jesus says to Peter, come have breakfast with me. If you've ever wondered if you've made too many mistakes or if you've ever wondered about whether or not God loves you or not, read this story. Because the last time that that Peter had looked across a burning fire and charcoal to see Jesus, it was the moment of his betrayal, denial. Jesus looks at Peter, he's standing by a charcoal fire, and Peter denies him. But here at this charcoal fire, um, Jesus cooks him breakfast. It's a story of reconciliation and a story of forgiveness and a story of the love of God. That is the gospel. This is love. We see this story that this itself, this is love. Let's stand now for the reading of the word. Later, Jesus himself appeared again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. They sat on a boat, but throughout the night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. And Jesus called to them, Children, have you caught nothing to eat? And they answered, No. He said, Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they did. And there were so many fish, they couldn't haul in the net. Then a disciple who loved Jesus said to Peter. Now this is John who wrote uh, this gospel. He's referred to the one as the one that Jesus loved. He said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he wrapped his coat around himself, for he was naked, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they weren't far from the shore, only about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you caught. Simon Peter got up and pulled the net to the shore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. Yet the net hadn't been torn, even with so many fish. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples could bring themselves to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took bread, gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. 
Now, this is the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And this is the reading of the word of the Lord, and God's people did say. You may be seated. So, so let's, get, let's get straight to the point and ask the question, the big question in the story. Why did Peter go fishing? He had left that job. Jesus had called him from, from being a fisherman to be a disciple. Now after witnessing all of his teachings and then seeing his crucifixion and then witnessing his resurrection and looking into the empty tomb, why did he go fishing? But right there in the text it says that he went and traveled 86 miles from Jerusalem up north to the Sea of Tiberias to go fishing. He said, I'm going fishing. And not only did he go fishing, but because he was essentially kind of the leader of this group, everybody followed him. He took everybody with him. Why did he go fishing? Now, one of the things I love about the Bible that makes the Bible timeless is that the Bible doesn't always answer the questions that we have. It doesn't tell us why. Now, there's a reason for that. If the Bible always gave us the answers to our questions, we would never be a part of it. So the beauty of not giving us an answer to this question is that it allows us to be a part of the story. It allows us to use our imagination. Because there are a lot of reasons we go fishing. There are a lot of possible explanations, and everybody in this room can find themselves in the story at one time or another, a different season in your life. So why did he go fishing? Well, it could be that uh, Peter and his disciples were just looking for a home-cooked meal. They were fishermen, and they wanted to go back to the Sea of Galilee and catch some local fish and fry some fish, bake some fish, eat some fish. Good explanation. Could be, gosh, they were just exhausted after all they'd been through the past three years, the crucifixion and resurrection. They just needed some time to relax. Let's go fishing. Could have been they were just biding their time. They weren't sure what was coming next. They were unsure of the next steps, and so they were just kind of waiting around. Could be that they were going back to the site of their original call and connection to Jesus to remember why they got into this work to begin with. I do that from time to time. I was called to be a minister when I was 17 years old. And sometimes when I lose my way and get confused about my priorities and what my life is about, I go back to my original call and remember that moment and try to reconnect there so I can remember why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's a good thing. You do it too. Why am I doing this? Why am I about this? And you go back to a moment when you experience God so you can reconnect. It could be that. But, but I think that there's two or three good reasons that may connect with you. I think one of them is, is that, that Peter, Peter was a person who often overpromised and underdelivered. And Peter went out big for God. He had a big dream, a big idea of what he was going to do for God. And God put a dream in his heart. And he went out, and then it didn't go as he planned. Got knocked down, failed, had some failures, some hardships, 
And it was just hard. Now, if you're like me, that happens sometimes. We get a dream. We want to accomplish something great. We want to do something. We have a dream. We have something we want to do. We go out, and before long, it didn't go like we thought. You know, we, we, it was harder than we thought it was going to be. And the next thing you know, we find ourselves sitting in our rear end somewhere going, what was I thinking? I'm not up for this. Anybody ever do that? I mean, you know, you, you decided not to play it safe. You decided to jump out of the boat. As soon as you jumped out of the boat, you found yourself sinking in the water. And then you're holding on the side of the boat saying, oh, no, I, I, I'm going to go back to what I was doing. I want to be safe again. I mean, that's probably it. And it could be, you know, they just finally realize, hey, following Jesus, is hard. this is just too hard. We didn't read the fine print, the little letters at the bottom. When Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And Peter's probably thinking, I thought that was a metaphor. <laughs> no, he really meant it. I saw it. You know, you know, being a Christian is a lot harder than just sitting in, a pew, sitting in a pew, getting baptized, drinking little cups of juice, having a little cracker, giving your offering and going home. It's, it's more than that. It's about loving people that are not easy to love. It's about being honest and vulnerable before God. It's about serving beyond ourselves. It's about having a big dream. It's not easy. And so Peter was probably going back to his old life. He said, you know what? My old life's my old life, but it's not that hard. And I will tell you, there have been moments in my life and in your life, too, I'm sure, we said, this is just too hard. I don't always want to do the right thing. I don't want to love my enemies. I don't want to overlook what they did. I, I don't want to do this anymore. There have been moments when I have felt compelled in my heart to speak what I believed was the truth or to do something I believed was the right thing to do only to suffer consequences for speaking my deepest convictions. And then the next time I felt that impulse on the inside going, um, maybe I just want this time. You know, sometimes you, right, sometimes you ever face a situation that's just too hard and you choose the easier path. We've all done that. But it could be that the reason they went back to their old life fishing is wasn't because they were disappointed in God or disillusioned with the mission. I think maybe they were just disappointed with themselves. Peter had failed a lot. Peter had made a lot of mistakes. And in spite of all the forgiveness he got from Jesus, he probably is thinking, I'm just not up to this. My opinion is of most of the people that I meet who call themselves Christians that most Christians do not suffer from overconfidence but suffer from a lack of confidence in themselves and no matter the good face they put on in front of, them, in front of people that they secretly carry guilt and shame about themselves and believe, you know what, I just made too many mistakes I just don't think I'm up to this and even though I hear God loves me and God is enough enough that God is enough I really don't think I'm enough I really don't think so you know I, I think that many congregations many congregations such as ours are filled with people 
who are suffering from a low-grade spiritual depression. So you can understand why they go back to the work. So then there's no real explanation. It could be any one of those things. You fill in the blank. But we do know this about the story. We can say this for sure. What was the result of their work? It was nothing. They found out you can't go home again. You know? They found out that you can go back to the old life, but there's a cost attached to it. You can go back to what you were doing before and hoping to recapture what you had before, but it's not ever there. And it just comes up empty. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a part of the story that's true, you know, about pulling up empty nets where we've all worked hard at something and we've got nothing out of it, right? You know, you, you worked hard, you put in the effort. I put all this effort into this relationship and I just keep pulling up nothing. I put all this effort into this work, I keep pulling up nothing. You know, I put all this work into this cause, I pull up nothing. I keep trying to overcome this, I just keep getting nothing in return. There's a part of that, but I think there's something deeper going on in the story. This is what happens when we give up on a dream or an idea or a purpose or a vision for what our life can be and we go back to our old life because it's safe. It's safe, but it's empty. It's predictable, but it's empty. I, I think that what this is, is this story is emblematic of the spiritual emptiness that we feel on the inside when we get a glimpse of who God is and maybe what God wants for us, and then we find ourselves out of sync with what God wants. Now let me say this, if you're a person who's here today and you're going, I don't know what the heck he's talking about because I've never had a vision or a glimpse of the kingdom or of God, you just keep coming, you're going to get it, so you can be disappointed later too, okay? <laughs> Hold on to what I mean by that. What I mean by that is, you look at yourself and you go, I'm not up to this work. You'll get there. It's all a part of it. I think that what's going on here is, is they are feeling the emptiness of being out of sync with God. And if you've ever had a touch of his goodness and his love and got a dream for your life and then you were sort of crushed by that and then you are in a period, a low period, that's when you feel emptiness. There's an emptiness that just comes alive, but there's an emptiness when you tasted the goodness and you don't have it anymore. Let me give you a silly example. Suppose I were to low, have, pull two big buses up in front of the sanctuary, and we all got on the bus, and I drove you to Fort Worth, Texas. We got to Fort Worth, Texas, and I picked out my favorite Tex-Mex restaurant for you. And you tasted real salsa. Everybody from Texas, we're snobs when it comes to Mexican food, okay? You had some of the finest Tex-Mex that you could get in Fort Worth, Texas. I load you on the bus, and we come home, and all the way home, you're talking about how when you ate that enchilada with sour cream on the top of it, you tasted transcendence. And when you got back to Louisville and you came home, you would never go to another Mexican restaurant in town again. Because it would never be the same. 
That's silly, I know that, but what, it's the same point, is that when you've got this vision or glimpse of what can be, and then you find yourself back where you were, it's an emptiness. It's a part of life. There's nothing wrong with you if that's where you are. There's nothing wrong with you. It's a part of life. That's the human, that's the human condition, okay, the human condition. But in every story in the Bible, you will find the human condition, but you will also find the gospel. And in this story, it's gospel upon gospel. Gospel means good news. In this story is the gospel that applies to that emptiness. And what you see here is the disciples don't recognize Jesus because they're lost in it. You know, they can't see it. But where is Jesus? Jesus is not back in Jerusalem waiting on them to figure it out and to go back. He's followed them up north. He went looking for them. He went up and he's standing on the shore and he's cooking them breakfast. He's not standing on the shore wagging his finger. He's not there to give them a lecture. doesn't have his hands across his chest. It's like the story told of the prodigal son. Remember when the prodigal son started to come home and came to his senses? The father didn't wait at home for the, father, for the son to get there and lecture him standing on the front porch. No, the father ran to him. You see, the story here is that no matter how far you've gone, no matter how far you pushed out to the shore, no matter what you've gone back to that, where you were before, he's going to come looking for you because he's for you, he's not against you. Because of his unconditional love, he has the best in mind for you. And he'll come looking for you. And ever notice in the Bible how God bumps into people in the most unlikely places? Jacob was a cheat and a scoundrel and a lousy human being. He cheated his father, defrauded his brother, he has to run for his life, and he's out in the middle of the wilderness, and he has no place to sleep. He lays his head down on a rock for a pillow, and in the middle of the night, God reaches down to him in that place and brings a ladder, and he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. There's Moses. Moses is a fugitive. He's a murderer. He's out in the desert. He's a midlife failure wannabe, doing a job he hated, and in the middle of the desert, God shows up in a burning bush and calls him back to a mission. You remember the story of, of Joshua? Joshua, uh, in the book of Joshua, they go to the Jericho, they're going to take the city of Jericho, and Joshua sends some spies in the city. They have to run for their life, and where do they find themselves? They find themselves in the only place that will hide them, in a brothel. And guess who the Lord uses to bring the word of the Lord to them? The madam who runs the brothel. Now here I show, he shows up on the shore. God is always bumping into us in these moments if we will look up and we will pay attention. And when God shows up, there's abundance. Peter, throw your net on the other side. I know you're not catching anything, but just do what I tell you. Throw your net on the other side, and what happens? There's so much abundance in Jesus when he shows up, and when we offer our lives, offer him the little that we have, what happens? They pull up 153 fish 
He only did seven because there's only seven guys in the boat. He overdoes it. You ever notice that whenever Jesus shows up in the Bible, he takes the little that's offered and just blows people's minds with the abundance that there's enough for anyone and everyone? He shows up at a wedding. These are just ordinary stone jars, but takes those stern jars and makes 120 gallons of wine and the best wine. He's on a hillside, and he's, he's on a hillside, and a little boy offers up his sack lunch. Here's my sack lunch, Jesus. Two fish, five loaves of bread. My mom packed it this morning. He takes it and feeds 5,000 people, and there's enough left over for everyone. And then here in this example, he loathes and overfills. These are just three examples that we can find among many of what happens when we offer him ourselves. We offer the little that we have. We open our eyes and recognize that he's come looking for us. We meet him at the place of our lack. We meet him at the place of our emptiness. We meet him at that place and we say, this is all I have. This, this is all, I don't have anything left. This is all I have of my marriage. This is all I have of my work. This is all I have of my friendships. This is all I have. This is all the dignity I have left. This, I don't have anything left. This is just me. Here I am. And then he takes it and he abundantly blesses us. Instead of focusing on what we don't have, if we offer him the little that we do have, he takes it and he blesses us. And he calls us and commissions us and fulfills us. I love that. Because like you, I think like you, I am prone to negativity. It's, it's easy to see the world as the glass is half empty, half full. It's easy to see the negatives. It's easy to lose the energy for my life and to just be pulled down into this emptiness. You fight it every day. We fight it every day. Every day. But when I read this story... And then I begin to get a glimpse of who Jesus is and see what his life is about and what he offers. You know what it does? And I see the abundance. I realize there are so many more opportunities that in every failure, there's an opportunity. In every mistake, there's an opportunity. The opportunities are endless. If only we can have our imagination expanded. That's what God does for us. When Jesus enters our life, he expands our imagination for what is possible. And that's the greatest miracle of all. The greatest miracle of all is not that he gives us more fish, but he changes our perspective, that we begin to look at things for the opportunities. And in every failure, every obstacle, there's an opportunity for new life and for new growth. And you know what we have to do is we have to begin to honor failure. And what I mean by that is it's a part of the process. We make the mistake and we think that and in one encounter with Jesus should change everything. But one encounter with Jesus doesn't change everything. It takes lots of encounters because life is three steps forward, two steps back. Sometimes it's three steps forward and about 25 steps back. It's just the way that it is. It's a part of life. And I notice in the story, Peter, Peter is so compelling to me because he's so much like us. I love this because Peter fails big time. And then you read the book of Acts, and Peter is preaching the gospel in the book of Acts, and thousands respond to his message and are baptized and join the church. How many times 
does Jesus have to appear to Peter before he goes from his denials to a preaching preacher? It takes four resurrection appearances. So we have to realize that over the course of our lifetime, it's a continual project God working on us, investing in us. We go away, we come back. We go away, we come back. We fall down, we get up. And every single thing that happens in your life, your failures, your obstacles, God uses them for your good if we will choose. If we will offer him not only our blessings, but we offer him, here are my mistakes. Here's how I failed. He takes it and turns it into an abundance. And then we see this transforming moment in Peter's life. You know, he jumps out of the boat. Go back, flash back to the first time this story happened. The first time that Jesus filled the boat with fish with Peter, you know what he does? He goes, oh, get away from me. I'm an unclean man of unclean lips. Please move away from me, God. You're too holy and I'm too sinful. Not this time. This time he's had enough experience with Jesus to know, hey, I don't have to be afraid. And he jumps into the water and swims to Jesus. Because after spending three years with him, he now knows he will welcome him with open arms. And what a beautiful scene. Peter walks up onto the beach, dripping wet. And the last time he looked at him, looked at Jesus across the fire, it was in the fire of his failure. But this time, dripping wet, he looks across the fire and Jesus says, Come and have breakfast. This is love. 